Well, welcome everybody. We're so glad that you're here with us today. For those of you who are here for the first time, my name's um, Pastor Dave Fukuyama, and I am the senior pastor here. And I'm so happy that you're here um, watching us outside or online. But before we start, I want to let you know that I believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, but I am not. And the reason I say that is somebody brought up something that I um, post, uh, put up on the screen, and I'd like to show that again. So if you could show the first slide, please. Okay, last week I talked about the five crowns that um, Christian believers will get, or you could earn, um, and when we stand in front of Jesus. And the first crown was an incorruptible crown. The next crown was the crown of rejoicing. The third crown was the crown of righteous, and the fourth crown was the crown of glory. And that's in 1 Peter 5.4. I had 1 Peter 5.14 last time. And so people say, I can't find this, I can't find this. And I looked, and I go, oh, that's because I goofed. And so I added a one there. So just to let you know, it's 1 Peter 5.4, and the crown of life was Revelation 2.10. So if you want to know more about those crowns, um, listen to last week's sermon, and just remember First Peter five four, not fourteen. What I said, but you know, as I've grown in uh, my faith, one of the Achilles heels that I have, or one of the biggest stumbling blocks to my faith and growing in my trust of, you know, my Lord Jesus Christ, is my self reliance. Right, I've always had that. I don't know why. And I've shared this story with you before, that when I was a child growing up, right, when I was in seventh grade, um, I was chased by a Chinese gang, right? And they, and they were the ones that took people's lives. And so I remember having to, you know, walk home and all that, always looking around to see where I'm going, always looking behind my back, to see if there was somebody following me. And I remember, you know, being an eighth grader, my friend came up to me and he just gave me something that was kind of wrapped up. And I, I opened it and it was a gun. And he, he goes, you might want to use this to protect yourself. You might need this. And I just looked at that and something inside me says, no, this is wrong. I'm not going to be carrying around a gun. So I, I gave it back. But I never told my parents about that. You know, I said, you know what? There's something inside of me that said I could take care of that. I could take care of that. Um, and then high school, same thing. There's another gang there. And, um, you know, I, I've seen them, you know, beat up people before. You know, it was, and it was never one-on-one. -on -one. It was always like six-on-one, right? And you have these fights and the whole school kind of, came just to see it, right? And then next thing I know, they're after me. And at that time, um, I had just become a Christian, and, you know, I lost a lot of my friends, so I was alone. So it was just me and God. But, you know, it was in that time where, you know, God, I, I believe it was God who spared my life, right? But even then, I never told my parents, I never told anyone that, you know, whether I was in junior high and high school, I said, I didn't know if I was going to come home alive. I'd go to school, you know, fearful, always looking around, but I never told anyone why because I thought I could take care of this myself, right? And there's this self-reliance, and I go, where did I get that from, 
right? Because um, I know some of us have, are more self-reliant than others. But there was a study done of um, 64 countries, and who do you think was the number one individualistic nation and self-reliant nation in the world? The U.S. We were, out of 64 nations, we were number one, followed by the U.K., Australia, the Netherlands, and Canada. They rounded out the top five countries that were the most individualistic or self-reliant. Then when you take a look at the, let's say, some of the Asian countries, well, India checked in at 29. Japan, number 30. Most of the Asian nations have a different mindset, and they are in the bottom third of that list when it comes to being individualistic. So it's something, if you read these articles, they'll tell you that um, self-reliance or being individualistic is a value in our country. Well, that might could be good, but that could also be detrimental. It could, and it's detrimental when you, as we live our Christian life, we start being more reliant on what? Ourselves than on God. And that's what we're going to take a look at um, this next church. So for those of you who are joining us for the first time, We've been going over the uh, seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so today, we're going to go over the last church, the church of Laodicea. Now, you've ever heard the phrase, you save the best for last? (laughs) Well, in this list, you know, we save the worst for last. You know, the most, you know, Laodicea got the most scathing rebuke of all the churches, You know, affluence made the church vulnerable to self-reliance. The wealth of their culture did not meet their spiritual needs, and they never saw that, right? They just thought, hey, we're wealthy. We could deal with it, right? But sadly, of all of the seven churches listed in the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea resembles most the church in the United States. And this was the worst of all of them. But they resemble the most. I mean, our churches in America, we are probably the closest in culture and mindset to the church of Laodicea. However, however, the good news is that Jesus loves us and he gives us instructions on how to live victorious despite, you know, our culture. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14? And this is what... Um, Jesus says to the Apostle John, it says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Once again, the angel was not an angelic being, but the leader or the elder of the church. It says, this is a message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So in all of the books, we know that Jesus is the one who's telling John to write these things down. And each one of the Uh, Each one of the churches, Jesus describes himself. So in this church, the the church of Laodicea, he starts by saying, I am the amen, meaning I am the one who confirmed all God's promises. I am the last word. You know, what I say is final, and there's no one that could change it. And so that's what Jesus is saying here, is that his word to to the seven to the seven churches in Revelations, this is the final word. 
No one could change this. No one has the authority to usurp me and usurp my words. And I know I am the amen and that this, this is it. He says, I am also the faithful and true witness that he's saying that everything I am saying to you is the truth, that I am completely trustworthy and reliable. Now, this is also plays a part in as you, as you read the rest of Revelation, right? There's a lot of um, um, prophecy in the Revelation, some prophecy that's just astounding and mind-baffling. And you're saying, is this true? You know, how the, now, how these prophecies are carried out, we don't know for sure. But Jesus says what? I am um, faithful and a true witness, meaning these things are going to happen. These things are going to be have, as crazy as it may seem, as unimaginable as the book of Revelation is. If you read it, these things are going to happen because what? Jesus is completely trustworthy and reliable. He also says that he's the beginning of God's new creation. Now, when a lot of people read this, they misinterpret it to say that Jesus is the first of God's created beings, right? That, because he says that he's the beginning of God's new creation. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is, I am the source of the original creation or creation. And through Jesus, he had the power to create. So he, we believe that he created the, all that we see. So Jesus was not a created being here. He's not saying that he's a created being here because we know that Jesus was God, that he did not have a a beginning, that he is the same essence of God. So, But what he's saying is that I was the one and I am the source of creation. And then he goes on to say, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other. Now, this is where I think there's been a lot of confusion as to what Jesus is saying here. So if you could go to the next slide, um, you see the Lycus River Valley, and there were three basic cities there, and one was Laodicea, the next, if you see on top, was Hierapolis and Colossae. Now, the people, now the water, now if you look at Heropolis, that's where they got hot mineral waters. So basically when they had springs that delivered hot mineral waters, it was soothing to the body. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been in a hot bath or spa. You know, that's what it does, right? It soothes, you know, the body, right? And then in Colossae, you had cold, refreshing water. That when it gets really hot... This is the water you want to refresh, or to refresh you. However, the water from Laodicea came from an aqueduct four miles south of the city. And by the time it arrived in the city, it was tempered. It was lukewarm, right? And it had a lot of minerals that sometimes would make people throw up, right? And so this is what he's trying to say. You know, for us, we're trying to figure this out. But the people in that uh, area knew exactly what John was saying here is that <clears throat> either cold water or hot water is good for something, but lukewarm water is not. Because when I was growing up, you know, I thought this was like spiritual condition. So Jesus is saying, you know what, hot is passionate for Jesus. You know, lukewarm is, eh, you have one foot in the world and the other foot in our faith. And cold water, they're against Jesus and all of that. But then Jesus says that 
I wish you were one or the other, meaning that they were lukewarm. And so, the, so it's not that cold is bad because Jesus would not want us want to say that, I wish you were cold. I wish you were faithless. You know, I wish you just didn't have any faith in me. I want you to be the hot or I wish you were against me. That's not what he's saying here because both the hot and cold waters, they were good for something. Lukewarm water was useless. And that's pretty much what he is saying. The point is rather the utter worthlessness of the congregation because they were self-reliant. But he goes on to say, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now that's a horrible, if you get that visual, right? You know, Jesus, and, and if you take a look at the original, it's Actually, he says vomit, which is even worse, right? But what Jesus is saying is, you know, you're not hot, you're not cold, meaning that you're, you're lukewarm, means you're useless. And because you're useless, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. You know, you know that's like, wow, what a that's a crazy rebuke, right? But then they understood that. Because like I said before, the water that went to Laodicea, it was filled with these uh, minerals that sometimes made you throw up. And so they would understand that. Because if you take a look at Laodicea, Laodicea was a wealthy banking center. It was like the New Yorks, the San Francisco's, the Los Angeles, the Chicago's of that area, where it was a wealthy, wealthy area, okay? Um, it also um, had a, they were so wealthy that they refused financial aid. There was an earthquake, uh, in AD 60, there was an earthquake that did a lot of damage to the city, right? But Laodicea didn't need any financial aid from Rome. They said, don't worry about it. We're wealthy. We'll rebuild ourselves. We don't need your help. We're self-reliant financially. And that was their culture. That was their thinking back then. They were also known for the breakthrough in ophthalmology, meaning, mainly that they had found a way to create or make this eye salve, salve. And what they would do is they would put it on your eyes and it would make your sight better. But also it was a prosperous clothing industry which made garments of black, soft wool. So they were wealthy, they, um, they, had, uh, they, they were able to um, improve people's sight, and then they were a prosperous, prosperous clothing industry. All right, so we have to understand, this is the city uh, that Jesus is addressing here. And he goes on to say in verse 17, You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Okay. They were self-reliant on their wealth for their happiness, their comfort, their security, and possibly their spirituality. Because there was a belief that if you were wealthy, that meant what? That God blessed you. However, if you were poor, that means you were experiencing God's displeasure. And the culture of self-reliance in Laodicea crept 
into the church, right? And this is what was going on here. They're saying, you know what? We're self-reliant. We're rich. We have everything we need to live a satisfying life. And Jesus is saying, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. You are blind, you are naked, and you are poor. And what he's doing is he's attacking the various things that they think um, that they were self-reliant on. But Jesus loves them too much to allow them to stay in this condition, and he offers them a way out. Now, when you take a look at this, you know, how many of us have that thinking deep down inside? When you think about what gives you comfort, when you think about what gives you happiness, where you get your security from, if you're honest with yourself, where is it? Is it your finances? Meaning I've got to work really hard because if I have enough money, that means I'll be able to take care of my own needs. You know, nothing wrong with that, right? Because the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. But what is it that you are self-reliant on? And in this culture, they were self-reliant on their wealth, on their wealth. So what does Jesus say? He recognizes that. He rebukes them, but then he also gives them a way out. He just doesn't leave them there. He goes, I love you guys too much. He goes, I'm going to give you a way out. I'm going to give you a way to correct this so you can live the life that you always wanted to live. And we see that in verse 18. It says, so I advise you to buy gold for me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes that you will be able to see. Once again, the, the, Jesus is addressing the three areas where the church of Laodicea, they were self-reliant. Because he's saying, look, the earthly gold, the gold that you value so much, is contaminated and it's impure. And it doesn't last. And what Jesus is saying, I offer pure gold, which is truly valuable, right? Not that fake stuff that you are placing your faith in. And it says, when they trust in Jesus, what does Jesus say? You will be spiritually rich. They were wealthy financially, but they were spiritually bankrupt. In the area that matters most, they were bankrupt. But Jesus is saying, look, look, if you come to me, if you buy gold, and that's a metaphor, if you buy gold for me, right? If you trust me, you will be spiritually rich. You will be spiritually rich. And he said that he would also, they would also get white garments so they will not be ashamed of their nakedness. Remember when Adam and Eve first sinned, what did they do? They hid from God because what? They thought that they were naked, right? They hid because they had sinned against God and they were ashamed, right? However, what Jesus Christ did on the cross, his sacrifice for us, enabled us to take on his righteousness and holiness to wear those white garments. And that's what Jesus is saying here, right? He goes, look, come to me, and you'll be wearing these white garments of righteousness and holiness. Why? Because of 
what I did for you on the cross. And my children wear white robes that represent righteousness, purity, and holiness. Not black robes like the ones that were uh, represented in their black wool industry. And, you know, robes, you know, kind of had an impact in my life, too. I remember when I was a young adult, and I went to this camp called Mount Hermon. Some of you might have heard it. Um, but I remember um, on the last day, we were worshiping. And we didn't have seats like that. They were more like steps that we'd all sit on the steps. And so I'm worshiping the Lord, and we just listen to the speaker. And then all of a sudden, I hear this whisper in this ear from this one woman. And she said, Dave, God gave me something about you. And that just freaked me out. You know, because, you know, I, I, people with the gift of prophecy just always spooked me. Because my whole thing was that, okay, God told them about a, a private sin that I was committing, you know, and that, that they were going to confront me with it like David, Nathan confronted David. I'm just waiting for them to say, and David, you are that man, right? You are the guy that messed up. So that is like, oh, my goodness. But the, the tough thing is I drove this person and other people uh, up to the camp and back, right? So this person said, do you want to know what God gave me about you? And I said, no. <laughs> I don't want to know. And so all the way home, what do you think I'm thinking? What did God give? The, and I'm just thinking of all of these sins that I committed, and I'm just thinking, okay, God, which one did you tell this person? So I remember after um, dropping everybody off, Right, This person was the last person that I dropped off. And so as this person was going to leave, I said, Okay, what did God tell you about me? You know, Because I said, I can't handle this anymore. So she said this. She said, Dave, I saw you crouching in fear, wearing a black robe. And so he, she said, I saw you crouching in fear before the Lord, wearing a black robe, and the black robe represented sin, right? And then she goes, and then I saw you standing in a red robe. And she said, I saw you, you were no longer crouching in fear. You were standing in a red robe, which represented what? The blood of Jesus Christ. And then she said, I saw you preaching in a white robe, right? And I was going, whoa, you know, everything she said was true. And what she was trying to tell me is, Dave, when you preach, you are not wearing that black robe. There is no need for you to crouch in fear because of your sin. She said, God has given you a white robe. He wants you to preach in a white robe. You are not preaching in a black robe, right? And that's what, that was one of the most impactful visions that anyone has ever given me. Why? Because it was so true. I kept saying, God, you got the wrong person. You know, you know my background. You made a huge mistake. But once again, that white robe, I was preaching in a white robe, despite of my sin. And, I, it, it, and it didn't mean that when I became a pastor, I became sinless. You know, I still sinned a lot, but still I was wearing that white robe. And that's the same thing as you guys. We may blow it, right? We may make mistakes, 
but rest assured, you are wearing that white robe. You are wearing that white robe. There is no need for you to crouch in fear because you think you're wearing a black robe. And that is what I believe that Jesus is saying here. But then he goes on to say, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Once again, he says, I'm rebuking you. Okay, guys, you guys are self-reliant. That's wrong. Yes, I want to spit you out of my mouth. But he says what? I correct and discipline everyone I love. So his rebuke here is what? What's the origin of the rebuke? The origin of the rebuke is love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference, right? You think you're self-reliant. You don't think you need me. You're indifferent um, towards me because you think your wealth is going to give you all you need. And so what Jesus is saying, look, I love you. I'm going to discipline because I do love you. But in order for you to return, you need to what? Be diligent and turn away from yourself and reliant and start relying on me. All right? And he says, look, this is another misinterpreted verse. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I think the misconception here is, I, I used to think this when I was younger too, that this was a passage that um, is communicating salvation, right? That Jesus is knocking on your door of the unbeliever, and if you accept him, he'll come into your heart and you have a relationship with him. Now, we know that the Holy Spirit goes before us and softens the heart and leads us to truth, you know, to the unbeliever. But, you know, in this verse, we're not talking about salvation. Because Why? this passage or revelation was addressed to who? Believers. This, this passage or Jesus is addressing believers here. But what he's trying to say is he's trying to get us at our attention. Are you self-reliant right now? You know, is, is, do you even think about how God is playing a role in your life? Do you think about what God wants in your life? Do you think about, do you trust God for your needs or are you self-reliant on your own wealth, right? Jesus knows. Jesus knows all things. And what he's saying, he's knocking at that door. He's saying, look, I'm trying to get your attention. Open the door. Trust in me, right? And then he says what? I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Isn't that a great picture, you know, when you share a meal as friends? Isn't, you know, that a wonderful experience when you get together with meal with friends and you just talk about life? You talk about what's good. You talk about maybe what's bad. But it's an intimate experience, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. He goes, your self-reliance is getting in the way of us having a close fellowship with one another. And Jesus is saying, look, I love you. I want that close relationship with you. You're preventing that. So he's knocking at that door. He's saying, open up, open up, right? Because he wants us to have that close relationship with him. And as long as we are being self-reliant on our wealth, we can't have that relationship, right? So the question is, how do you know that you are in close fellowship with Jesus regarding your wealth? Well, the first thing is you trust God to provide you for what you need. You trust God to provide you for what you need. 
And, you know, Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Jesus Christ. So he's saying that God will provide all of your needs out of what? His abundant riches. That means both your financial, your physical, as well as your spiritual needs, right? You understand. So the first thing is that uh, you trust God to provide you for what you need. The church in Laodicea trusted themselves. He said, you understand that everything you have comes from God. In Deuteronomy eight seventeen to 18, the author writes, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But, but, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Isn't this true of us? It says, we may say to ourselves, it is by my power and my strength and my uh, intellect and my initiative and my hard work, my studying, that I was able to accumulate this wealth. But the author said, no. Hey, but, but, he said, remember God. God and God alone has given each one of you the ability to accumulate wealth. There's no way that we could say it was us that did it. And then you prioritize heavenly treasures over earthly treasures. You prioritize heavenly treasures over earthly treasures. Matthew six nineteen, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them, and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, their desire of your heart will be also. Focusing on heavenly treasures, prioritizing heavenly treasures over earthly treasures is difficult, Right? And it comes with spiritual maturity. Those of you who are young right now, I get that. You're trying to make your mark in this world. But there is going to come a point in your life where you realize that everything that this earth has to offer you doesn't last. It doesn't last, right? And that we should be investing in heavenly treasures. And once you understand that investing in heavenly treasures is difficult, it makes this principle easier. And the principle is the wealthy have the deck stacked against them when it comes to spiritual matters. And this is important. When it comes to spiritual matters, the wealthy have the deck stacked against them. Because why? We know that Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I believe the same principle applies when it comes to us living the faith. It's difficult to live our faith uh, uh, faithfully if we are wealthy. Why? Because we have so many things that we use to what? Become self-reliant on. We slowly become reliant on our wealth. And that's why it's hard. But praise God, he says, with God, all things are possible. And finally, you are content with what God gives you. You are content with what God gives you. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, I never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You know, whatever you have, 
You know, if you know that you're in right fellowship with God regarding your finances, you're content with that. You're content, right? And um, the believers in Laodicea who trusted in their wealth, they weren't content because the truth in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it's not up there. I want you to write this down. Take, you know, write it down on your iPhone and your notes. Ecclesiastes 5.10, because this truth was in truth back when Solomon wrote it, and this truth was in, in force in the church of Laodicea, and this truth is still in force today, right? And this is what Solomon says. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. So the people in Laodicea, no doubt, they thought that they were self-reliant. But what does Solomon say? Whoever loves money, you don't have enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You young people, just talk to us old people. We could tell you that. That's a truth. That's still enforced today. And some of us, it took a little bit longer to learn this truth, right? And that's a truth that I hope that you come to see, right, and believe. But I get it. I get it right now. It's like, oh, no, I, my goal is to try to accomplish this and achieve this. But no doubt, if you don't put your faith in God, if you don't put your trust in God, Ecclesiastes 5.10, that, that truth will impact your life. And then he finally says, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on the throne. You know, this is a wonderful reward for the victorious, right? He said, for those who are victorious, we will sit on my throne. You know what that means? That we will reign with him. Right, Just as he said, he rules over the new creation in the first part when he addressed the church of Laodicea, that we, our reward is that we will reign with him. If you've seen this next slide here, I don't know if I always bring up like movies that I've seen. And this is from the Chronicles of Narnia. Okay, remember this thing, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Uh, it was a book written by C.S. Lewis to really share Christianity, about Christianity in a story form. But what is at the end, right? At the end, uh, who, who's the king of Narnia? Aslan. And who does uh, Aslan represent? Jesus Christ, or God, right? Jesus Christ. But then you have these four individuals here, these four kids, right? And... Um, what Aslan does is he rewards them by allowing them to become kings and queens of Narnia, and they will rule with him seated on these thrones. And what does he say? Once a king and queen of Narnia, always a king and queen of Narnia. Right? And this is what I think C.S. Lewis was trying to sell us, that one day, just like them in the movie, we will rule with Christ in his new creation. What that looks like, I have no idea. Right? I don't know what it's going to It's going to be wonderful, right? But our reward is that each one of us are going to be seated on that throne, and we are going to be ruling with Jesus Christ over creation, right? What a wonderful, wonderful picture and a hope that is for all of us. And he says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. He's saying, guys, if you have ears, listen. 
He says, this is important. Learn from the church of Laodicea. Learn from their mistakes. Learn from the church of Sardis from their mistakes. Learn from the church of Thyatira from the church of Ephesus, you know, Pergamum. Learn what they did well and learn from their mistakes. And he says that's important. So basically, what are the Laodicea in closing? What are the Laodicea's three R's? Repent from our indifference to Jesus Christ. If we, if you are self-sufficient because of your wealth, because of your possessions, because of your job, right? If that's where you get your self-sufficiency from and not God, if we're not even thinking about God, if God is not even in our plans for our future, we need to repent from that. Okay, that's what Jesus says, is repent. Rely on God to supply us with what is important to live a victorious spiritual life. You know, the things that the Laodiceans were, they put their faith and trust in, well, you know what? That was thousands of years ago, and that's all gone. That's all gone, right? But the things that they invested in spiritually will last forever, forever and ever and ever. Okay, so we need to trust God to supply us for what is important, right? Heavenly treasures. Receive Jesus' invitation to fellowship with him. If, you're self-reliant, if you are in a place right now where you're self-reliant on your wealth, right? Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. He's saying, let me in. Let me in. Repent from that. I want to be in this close relationship with you. I want to walk with you through your life. But I can't do that unless you start relying on me and not yourself. So what's our weekly challenge? Uh, and worship team, please come forward. Um, read Revelation three fourteen through 22 on a daily basis. And assess your spiritual temperature. Are you hot? Are you cold? Or you, are you lukewarm? Hot and cold are useful. Lukewarm is useless to the kingdom of God. And then if you are lukewarm, okay, at least recognize it, but then follow Jesus' prescription where he said, repent from our indifference to Jesus Christ, rely on God to supply us with what is important to live a victorious spiritual life, and receive Jesus' invitation to fellowship with him. You know, this has been a great journey, journeying through the uh, seven churches. And I hope you've seen yourself in all of these churches, both the good and the bad, because I know I have. But praise God that he doesn't leave you where you're at. That yes, we might be suffering from some of these things. Yes, we might be self-reliant on ourselves, on our wealth, like the Christians in Laodicea. But you know, Jesus has something better for you. You think that the life that you have right now, man, it's great. And so did the people in Laodicea. And it probably broke Jesus' heart to say, you know what, guys? You are self-sufficient on your wealth. I have so much more for you. Your life could be so much richer than it is right now. The problem is you're spiritually blind. You're spiritually blind. 
And he's telling them, come back. I'm knocking at your door. Jesus wants us to have the best life we could have. And he knows what that best life is. And the only person that's stopping us from experiencing that life is us and the choices we make, right? And Jesus is saying, look, trust in me. Buy from me so you could have that life. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, our earthly minds are so limited in what we can imagine. Father, we think we know what the best life is for us. And Father, maybe we've dreamed it, we've been dreaming about it ever since we were a child, that we know what the perfect life would be. And yet, Father, a lot of times those dreams were made when we were spiritually blind. And Father, as parents, and even when I attended the grandparenting seminar today, Father, some of our hopes and dreams for our children and our grandchildren might be made from spiritually blind eyes where we think We know what's best for them. We know what will satisfy them. But Father, outside of you, there is nothing that could satisfy. So if that's you right now, if you take a look at your life right now and you are sitting at this place right here right now and you realize that you've been self-reliant on maybe your wealth, your skills, your ability. I want you to confess that before God as Jesus asked and commanded that we repent, knowing that he loves us, he forgives us, but that attitude of self-reliance stands in this way of us having an intimate fellowship with him. You know, brothers and sisters, Jesus has an amazing life planned for each one of us. A life that I know you and I can't even imagine. We can only experience that life when we place our trust in Jesus and not ourselves. So I encourage each one of us, and I stand here included in this prayer, that we place our trust and a reliance on Jesus Christ and not ourselves so that we can have this intimate fellowship with him which is absolutely the best way that you and I could live our lives. In your son's name I pray, amen.